This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and it's Tuesday, November 6th. So we've been meaning to catch up on earnings with some major reports in the past week. So we'll be updating listeners on two leading consumer retail companies before introducing a restaurant chain to Industry Focus. Joining me for this discussion is senior Molly Fool contributor Asit Sharma, who's calling into the Fool HQ studio via Skype. Hey, Asit, thanks for hopping on. Thanks a lot, Vince. Great as always to be here. We have a lot to cover today, so we're going to jump right into our first report from last week. So that's Under Armour. The company released its third quarter results on October 30th. The stock is up almost 30% since reporting. That pushes its year-to-date gains to 60%, which has got to be a pretty encouraging sign of a recovery that I'm sure shareholders have been hoping to see since the stock pretty much fell off a cliff in 2016. So CEO and company founder Kevin Plank he announced a major restructuring effort this time last year. Uh, with this latest Q3 report, where do things stand now, Asit? One of the things that um, is really important for investors <laughs> to grab out of this report is that Under Armour is really ratcheting up its operational efficiency. Um, as investors remember, the company's had some problems with high inventory levels, which in this industry as of late um, isn't unusual. But uh, we always talk in terms of behemoth competitor Nike. Nike has a system that's evolved over decades really to manage these blips in inventory when they really rise and you've got to cut back. Um, Under Armour, not so much. It's a younger company. They installed a new COO um, last year, Patrick Frisk, and I think he's done a great job of instilling discipline within the executive team and throughout the company. Um, One of the things I liked about this quarter was, though, um, the revenue increase was small. That inventory decreased 1%. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but with the flood of merchandise that the big apparel companies, sports companies have had to work off their books, that's actually pretty good. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. And one thing that overall I wanted to say about Under Armour's approach, um, it recalls to my mind a famous quote by Jan Carlson, who was the CEO of Scandinavian Airlines when they were having problems in the 80s and 90s, he turned that company around and he's famous for saying, you cannot improve one thing by 1,000%, but you can improve 1,000 little things by 1%. And I think that's really the story of this quarter. Okay, so the weakness in Under Armour's domestic business, so it was down 2% in the latest quarter, um, that still seems to be a little bit of an elephant in the room, uh, since it makes up uh, that U.S. business or that domestic business still makes up the large majority of revenue. Uh, And remember that Under Armour was on a hot streak. Uh, They reported 25 consecutive quarters of 20% plus growth. Stock was priced accordingly uh, until that growth story fell apart again about two years ago. So once that momentum dried up, uh, some other issues flared up around profitability, um, their distribution partners, and also inventory levels, which you touched on a little bit. But the latest guidance from Plank and his team is for full-year revenue growth of 3% to 4%. Um, North America is still down, while international is up 25%. So, Asit, what do you think think will be the top developments for investors to watch in the new year. So, international is likely to play a more important part of the Under Armour story. Same for direct to, the direct-to-consumer business. That now makes up, 
I think about about one third of the top line. What's on your radar for 2019? For me, it's a continued working down of the product availability in terms of the number of different products that Under Armour puts out. It's reduced its SKU stock keeping units by about 40% year over year. And that's going to be important in North America, where really the question of the day is not how much of a bunch of items it can sell, but what it can sell that gains traction with consumers without then putting into its channels a lot of stuff that the younger consumers don't want. Um, I note that in the past, it was enough for Under Armour to sign up superstars like Steph Curry. And yes, they did just sign Joel Embiid, which is a great win. But this company, I think the story going forward is just managing product levels, continuing to shove out the innovation it's known for, but really just being that disciplined kid that's grown up to compete with the larger organizations. So that's what I'm looking at. It's next quarter, I'd like to see how they've done on maybe reducing those stock keeping units a little bit further. Okay, so we have to move on here. Our next update is for Starbucks, which also enjoyed a boost from its fiscal fourth quarter results, with shares up 10% since the report. So this is another company, an industry leader that has had to deal with decelerating growth, though not to the same extent as Under Armour. So prior to this latest report, Starbucks delivered just 1% comps growth in the US, by far its biggest market. And more concerning than that, I think, was the fact that comps were down 2% in China, which management has really um, talked up as Starbucks' next big growth opportunity, thanks to um, you know hundreds of millions of people in its massive middle class. But management had better news to share last week. Asset, uh, Asset, what were the big highlights for you from that announcement? I think the number that really jumped out at me was this fiscal <laughs> fourth quarter revenue of six point three billion. It represented eleven percent year over year growth. And why I like that number, um, long term shareholders. Shareholders will remember, even as recently as two years ago, Starbucks included in its what we call its sort of earnings algorithm this long-term growth rate of 10% to 11%. And as uh, Howard Schultz transitioned out, Kim Johnson took over, and the company started to encounter these difficulties with traffic, not just in the U.S., but in each of its major regions. That number has fallen by the wayside, and now Starbucks is emphasizing that it's going to grow its non-GAAP EPS, so um, earnings per share that can be adjusted beyond what generally accounting, generally accepted accounting principles uh, allow. So that sort of adjusted number is now going to be 12% or greater each year. And everyone knows that's not a hard number for a big corporation like Starbucks with a lot of spare cash at its disposal um, to really generate. It has a number of ways to do that cut some costs, buy back some shares. Um, so when I saw the number pop up that uh, it had that 11% year-over-year growth, it gave me a glimmer of hope that maybe the company can return to its former aggressive growth levels. But um, I want to ask you, Vince, one of the things that jumped out at me, in all of its uh, comps numbers, this includes the Americas, China, Asia, Pacific, um, the emerging markets, the comps growth was due to higher prices and better mix. So a better mix of espresso beverages, better food. The change in average ticket rose in each region, uh, in some cases 2%, some cases 4%, 5%. But traffic declined 1% in every region except uh, the emerging markets region. And if you look at the fourth four quarters 
that Starbucks has just put in the book that ends its fiscal year, this is a trend that's gone on all year. And I say that's not a sustainable trend. If you had to choose between the two, you'd want traffic to always increase because at some point as economic growth around the globe ebbs and flows, consumers pull back. Right now they're in a spending phase because of, of good economic growth. And I was curious, Vince, what did you think about that divide between um, less traffic, but maybe a bit better pricing, better mix? Yeah, that was uh, one issue that I had looking at this report. Because I think investors, especially with the positive market reaction to this earnings report, they really hung their hats on that 4% comps growth in the U.S. market. But traffic was down 1% in the quarter, and I believe for the full fiscal year. And this has been an ongoing challenge, really, for the whole quick service restaurant industry, where price increases have basically been masking a few years at this point of weak customer traffic. And you're right, that's not sustainable in the long term. But at the same time, uh, with some of the changes that the company is making to its business, and the big part of that, uh, big part of that story again, going back to China, we're back to positive comps there, um, which is an absolute must after the company spent you know over a billion dollars acquiring its Chinese operations from a joint venture partner, and by 2022, management hopes to more than double its Chinese store base to 6,000 locations. But combine that uh, with the fact that you know that went from basically a licensing kind of collecting royalties system to now those are company-owned locations in China, and also uh, something I saw come up from management, you know, with food becoming a bigger and bigger part of the revenue generated at Starbucks stores. Those items carry a lower margin, so uh, that's we're seeing a overall kind of hit to profitability in that way, especially the operating margin for the company. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. How that relates in terms of uh, the the traffic decreases that we're seeing and and the long term challenges that that kind of uh, poses, I think. It's the right move for Starbucks to expand its menu to focus on some of these, uh, on some of these food-based items, for example, and other opportunities they have. They have this uh, partnership, the seven billion dollar deal with Nestle, having Nestle handle um, their goods outside of stores, kind of in store in grocery market aisles, for example. These are some of the opportunities I think that will help offset that challenge. But overall, I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, where Starbucks will ultimately be, especially with that traffic number declining, while they're rolling out a lot of these uh, new digital capabilities, these initiatives. But I am encouraged by the fact that they're focused on efficiency in the store, trying to clear up more time for their employees in the store to focus on service rather than spending, I think they said, two to three hours per day on these administrative tasks. So I do think management is cognizant of the challenge with that decline in traffic, the declining transactions. But that's really something I think, um, you know, wrapping up this part of the discussion is something I'll be watching in 2019 is the big factor for Starbucks. So I'm curious, what are you hoping to see or what are you going to be tracking closely in the next year for the company? I'll be looking for the effect of some of the initiatives that you mentioned, um, including that higher touch with customers. I do think that underscoring Starbucks strengths, which are its relationship with its customers, are important for the long term. Um, and I, for one, am interested in the next couple of years to see when Starbucks tells investors that it wants to slow its growth in China. That's a huge capital investment. Uh, if you think about all the stores that the company is building, those become fixed costs over the long term. Um, on the other side, it's got this great deal with Nestle, which is a capital light model. So I'd love to see a little bit 
more if possible of franchising deals, bottling deals, as it has uh, also with PepsiCo. I'd love to see those go going forward. And at some point, a sunset on the idea that all of our, our dice are being rolled in China. And to hear from management, uh, here's our next generation plan. This is probably looking two years down the road, but uh, might as well put those issues out on the table. Okay, so I'm going to leave listeners with uh, a summary that's written by fellow fool Jason Hall. And I like this because he covered the earnings report last week, and he brought into focus just how much change Starbucks has experienced in the past year. And I quote here, Fiscal year 2018 was a transitional period for Starbucks in a multitude of ways. Longtime CEO and Chairman Howard Schultz has largely stepped away from the business for the first time since taking it over decades ago. While longtime CFO Scott Mall will retire in November, the company made the bold move to take full operational control of its China stores this year while closing its Tivana retail operation, selling its Tazo Tea brand, and also shifting operational control of its consumer packaged goods to Nestle in a $7 billion-plus deal. So, where that leaves us, I think, for 2019, again, definitely wanting to see that traffic number strengthen for the company, given its investments in some of those digital capabilities, the mobile order and pay, also the loyalty program, the growth they're seeing there, and then the push to provide better service. And that is definitely going to be a big theme for the new year. Next up, we're going to have another uh, restaurant chain on tap, and that's El Pollo Loco. Support for The Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. A breakthrough science for Molecule is now capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level, and it's replacing 50 years of outdated technology. Those HEPA filters that have been using to clean your air were developed in the 1940s with no major innovations since then. But now, Molecule's Pico technology goes beyond the HEPA filter to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. That includes pollutants 1,000 times smaller than what a traditional HEPA filter can catch. And you can actually feel the benefits. My wife has always been extra sensitive to allergens and dust, and she'd wake up all the time with itchy eyes, a stuffy nose, and a headache. But this year, we put a molecule in our apartment, and after just a few days of letting the molecule work its magic, clearing the air in our apartment, my wife is a believer. She's been waking up with more energy each morning, and it lasts throughout the day because she's sleeping better, too. This was possible because Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers by significantly reducing their symptoms. One customer said that after using a Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified in university labs like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. The Molecule is easy to use with clean, sleek design, from the materials used to make the device like its solid aluminum shell, to the subscription service that regularly delivers filters straight to your doorstep when you need them. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com and enter the promo code FUEL. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and promo code FOOL. So, our next topic is El Pollo Loco, ticker L-O-C-O. So, this fast casual uh, restaurant chain, they specialize in citrus marinated, fire grilled chicken, and other Mexican-inspired cuisine. The chain was founded in 1980 in California, so they've since expanded to about 500 locations with a close split of company-owned and franchised locations. They're now active in other markets like Texas, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. 
In the trailing 12-month period, uh, the company generated $425 million of revenue and was profitable, but the stock has underperformed since its IPO in 2014, so shares priced then at about $27, at $27, and even though the stock is up 25% uh, since reporting earnings at least, they still trade well below that IPO price at just $16 per share. So, I said, whenever you and I plan our episodes together, um, you'll usually send me a list of topics or tickers that you're interested in covering, and I've seen El Pollo Loco pop up on that list for some time now, so I'm glad we're finally able to talk about it. But I'm just curious if, one, you've had a chance to try their food, and two, how this specific restaurant chain ended up on your radar. Yeah, so Vince, I am on the East Coast, so unfortunately there aren't a lot of El Pollo Loco um, locations. Uh, There's one that I know of recently opened one in Louisiana, I think there are a few others. None near me, but I'm a big fan of Latin American grilled chicken. I think Latin Americans do chicken on the grill really well. There's a local chain here uh, called Mami Nora's, which takes uh, Peruvian-style chicken. They import their ovens all the way from Peru. Um, Charcoal grilled. It's just really delicious. So, how this company caught my eye is my weakness for this food that I love. So, I'm anxious to try El Pollo Loco at some point in my travels. Okay. So, before we get into the quarterly results that were reported last week, and also the outlook um, for the company, the big themes um, from what I've seen for El Pollo Loco have been new leadership under CEO Bernard Akoka, and also the hit the company took from um, its rather rushed expansion into new markets. So, I said, can you provide some uh, color, some background for listeners new to the story about what is really driving and um, kind of framing the business right now? Sure. So, El Pollo Loco went public in July of 2014. And if you wind back the clock, you can remember an age in which Chipotle was steaming ahead and everyone was looking for the next Chipotle. That was a phrase I became tired of seeing in the news media myself. Is X the next Chipotle? And um, El Pollo Loco was one of the proposed candidates. And as soon as it went public, of course, um, Chipotle's fortunes changed, which put it changed, which put a drag on the rest of the sector. And this company ran into problems of its own creation. In late 2014, El Pollo Loco made a major push to expand into Texas markets like Dallas and Houston. Um, and this was its first non-contiguous big expansion. Most of its locations are in California. Um, it, the concept did not catch on. And in fact, it was so bad that the company had to write down about $27.7 million in impairment charges in 2017 against about 20 company restaurants. Um, and then it also uh, wrote off about $5 million in impairments against some underperforming restaurants in California and Arizona. In that process, the company's total restaurant margins, that is, the margins which individual uh, restaurants make on their revenue when you take out food, uh, packaging costs, rental costs, labor, et cetera, those margins decline from about 27% all the way down to around the 18 to 19% range where they are today. So, the stock went from being uh, a newly uh, public potential candidate to replace Chipotle to a value play in, in a matter of um, months, really, and it had a long side. And this year, it caught my eye because after those impairment charges, I noticed that El Pollo Loco was making a much 
more uh, wise and deliberate expansion into new markets. It's upgraded its uh, store concepts, and then of course, bringing on the new CEO has had an effect, which we'll get to in just a moment. But that's basically before we talk about this quarter, the, the situation that the company has found itself in, and why it is recovering rather than having this um, stellar growth over the last few years. All right, so I'm looking um, at the press release for this third quarter, reported on November 1st. Uh, some of the encouraging signs that really jumped out to me, 2% and 3% comps growth for company-owned and franchise locations, respectively, 11% year-over-year top-line growth. Um, so, given you know, given that you've been following the company uh, for, for uh, seems like the past year or so, um, how encouraged were you by these Q3 results? I was pretty encouraged. Uh, one of the things that the company did in this earnings report was to revise its comps growth projection from what was previously negative to flat to flat to 1%. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. However, average check size is improving. So, when you have flat uh, to positive comps growth supported by average check size, this is very similar to the Starbucks situation we talked about, except that uh, El Pollo Loco has every opportunity to increase its traffic. That's a recipe for future growth. And it also represents a flattening or bottoming out of the curve that we've seen over the last couple of years. So basically, if you can imagine a stage being set for a greater turnaround, um, that was very encouraging to me. I also like that even if you take out an adjustment for uh, a new accounting method that the company had to implement, which is germane to a lot of fast casual restaurants which have franchise advertising revenue, even if you take out that, uh, the top line still jumped by 5.5%. It was 11% reported, but take away the, the, the adjustment it had to make, it still had nearly 6% total growth, and that's a function of opening new stores again. So the CEO, Bernardo Coca, has promised to uh, maybe next quarter uh, give some numbers for store openings going forward. I think they're going to have a more aggressive uh, schedule in the coming year. And then finally, the thing that I really liked about this report is the discipline that El Pollo Loco implemented in its strategy uh, to increase its check and traffic. It went to basically a $5 promotion. Uh, this company straddles the line between fast, casual, and quick service, and it avoided uh, trying to become a quick service restaurant like a McDonald's um, or Burger King and offer two-for-one specials. Now, you might think that a company like El Pollo Loco, which is a sit-down, um, fast, casual, family-oriented place, wouldn't necessarily jump into that type of uh, menu change, but I'll give you a great example. Local to me and, and many listening today would, would know that Bojangles actually has had some uh, very deep promotions over the past couple of years and tried to play this uh, fast food value menu game, and, and that's actually hurt their growth. So I like that this discipline helped the company stabilize its uh, revenue. Okay, so uh, you know, for a restaurant chain, um, a lot of the big metrics that tend to drive headlines are the comps that we've touched on, the top and bottom line growth, um, and then with some of the expansion challenges and the effect that that weakness has had on profitability. You mentioned how the restaurant contribution margin for El Pollo Loco fell from that high 27%. I think guidance for this year, about 18 to 19%. But given how the company's kind of been 
you know, had this experience where they were slapped on the wrist with uh, issues going into a new market like Texas too aggressively. I'm curious. Uh, management hasn't spoken to uh, their guidance for expansions next year. But what is your outlook uh, in terms of if they are able to take this more cautious or maybe conservative approach to new restaurant openings? Do you think over time they're going to be able to bring that restaurant margin back up to? These levels, um, maybe not as high, quite as high as that twenty-seven percent peak, but at least above the twenty percent mark. And do you think that's something the company might be able to achieve in twenty nineteen? I think it's certainly in sight. Uh, one of the factors that's pressuring all restaurants in the industry just now is increased wages, um, which is actually a good thing for the folks who run the restaurants where we go out and dine. Um, but increasing labor. Inflation uh, in the labor category is going to put a cap on ever returning to that 27%, at least in the next, I would say, year or two. However, Vince, I think it's very achievable to break above 20% again. That's more operational discipline. It's getting customer traffic flow uh, to be just a little bit higher. And it's also marketing to the right people. One of the thing that, uh, things that Bernard Acosta has done at uh, El Pollo Loco is to quickly find out from an external uh, survey what customers love about this. And he's found that uh, customers love the family-oriented atmosphere, so uh, El Pollo Loco is starting to market in that direction. Um, he's found, which is not a surprise, that uh, the company is very strong in the Hispanic market. And it's also very strong with those who seek out healthy dining options. So. In just a space of a few months, El Pollo Loco has fine-tuned its marketing, and I think we're going to see traffic start to build with this more focused approach on the core customer. So that's something else. And if we have a moment, um, uh, I'd also like to talk about the valuation before we wrap up on this company. Yeah, let's wrap up with that. We have a couple more minutes. Um, what do you think here? I know that, obviously, with how the stock has traded since its IPO. It's reached levels that are probably more in line with some of its, uh, for example, bigger restaurant peers. But what is your take on where El Pollo Loco is trading right now in the valuation? The company's forward PE ratio, price to earnings ratio, um, right now sits at 22. And that's after the shares have gained 60% year to date. And that just shows you, you know, what kind of bad shape it was. Uh, over the last 12 months. But what this does is it places it in a range of the quick service restaurant area. McDonald's trades at 23 times forward earnings. Burger King parent restaurant brands international trades at 21 times earnings. Its peers, let's look at Chipotle. Chipotle trades at 55 times forward earnings despite all of its travails over the past several years. Shake Shack, which has been quite successful since its uh, IPO trades at 72 times forward earnings. Um, Habit Restaurants trades at 113 times forward earnings. Uh, I don't think this company will reach any of those levels. However, a benchmark that I follow, the Russell 2000 uh, Small Capitalization Index, to which this, this company belongs, the average stock in that index trades around 30 times forward earnings. So I definitely think there's still more upside left. This is still a value play. Not to say it's not without risk. Uh, as we know from watching some of their turnarounds on Wall Street, it's you're not really at a true turnaround phase. So you can look in the back mirror, and, you know, and say you completed 
everything you set out to complete and your stock has proven that on the, the price chart. However, I think there's room. I was just curious, Vince, what do you think after um, delving to this company a bit? Do you think it can uh, rise a bit more and its uh, valuation can improve? Well, I'll say this is a newer company um, that I'm going to be adding to my watch list, uh, both a little bit as a foodie uh, in terms of my hope to eventually try uh, one of the try their food at one of their restaurants in the near future. Um, I've actually heard great things some, from some friends who've been out west and had a chance to dine with them. But in terms of the investing angle, um, I'm going to be watching how these efforts under the new CEO, especially what you mentioned, those three themes in terms of family-oriented, uh, really uh, increasing their marketing uh, and kind of the uh, element that element with the Hispanic customers, and then the healthy dining element, and see how the company can curate that marketing and that focus to see if it helps boost their traffic, helps keep their comps at a nice positive momentum, and how that works out for them uh, in the coming year. But that's all the time we have for today. Um, with this recap for Under Armour, Starbucks, and El Pollo Loco. Thanks for joining us, Asset. Thanks. This was great fun, Vince. Fools, thanks as always for listening. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show. The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Hold on. Hold on.